The Evolve Network is now live at evolvenetwork.tv. Subscribe for meal plans, recipes, cooking shows, and our very own The Magic Pill and The Magic Plant, as well as access to my favourite documentaries. The Evolve Network is also home to our full library of podcasts, with new release podcasts airing first and in full on the channel. You can also watch selected vodcasts in a video format. Meanwhile, enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great-tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Freddie Silver is a best-selling author and leading researcher of ancient civilizations, restricted history, sacred sites, and their interaction with consciousness. He is also a leading expert on crop circles. He has published six books in six languages. Described by one CEO as perhaps the best meso- described by one CEO as perhaps the best meso- come on, Pete. <laughs> Described by one CEO as perhaps the best metaphysical speaker in the world right now, for two decades he has been an international keynote speaker with notable appearances at the International Science and Consciousness Conference, the International Society for the Study of Subtle Energies and Energy Medicine, and the Association for Research and Enlightenment. In addition, 
to appearances on Gaia TV, History Channel, BBC and radio shows such as Coast to Coast. He's also a documentary filmmaker, art photographer and leads private tours to sacred sites in England, France, Egypt, Portugal, Yucatan, Malta, Peru and Bolivia and Scotland. To find out more about Freddie Silva, please visit his website invisibletemple.com. That's I-N-V-I-S-I-B-L-E-T-E-M-P-L-E.com. Invisibletemple.com. Freddie, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you, brother? Very well, very well, uh, considering. <laughs> I think the gods seem to uh, be uh, bestowing me with some kind of grace that I'm still uh, healthy after a year and a bit of traveling and uh, being able to go to a few limited sacred sites, but still, so far, everybody's been very happy. So all things said, doing pretty good. It's interesting because over the last few months, I've been drawn to your work and others in the in the quest for understanding the knowledge that these ancient civilizations left for us, if that's the correct terminology, or yeah. utilized when they inhabited the planet. And my intuition keeps driving me towards people like yourself and the information that you're sharing and others are sharing that humanity hangs in the balance and i feel like there's so many there's something very special about these ancient civilizations that are going to help us navigate into the future that that's just my intuition and perspective and that's why i really wanted to get you onto this platform because over the last year we've witnessed what i can only call just sheer insanity and and sheer ridiculous <laughs> ridiculousness and and Sorry to project Overreaction. That. Yeah, overreaction. And I can't help but think that, again, we're, we're forcing ourselves to look at humanity as a whole and our history for the answers in which we can move forward. So I want to hand it over to you and for you just to do a download or a channel of, of your experience and how humanity, humanity can progress from here forward by looking back. Oh, I see it as another stepping stone of awakening, because if you look back at the uh, ancient information, the history that we've inherited, it's, it's quite clear that they had problems too. I mean, 12,000 years ago, they didn't have COVID. They just had meteorites falling out of the sky, creating a global flood that wiped out pretty much 95% of the whole population. And here we are, we survived. And uh, I think that they took it all in stride because they work with, uh, with nature. They understood the rhythms, the cycles, and I think there was a certain um, will to let go of any kind of predestined or predetermined will because they reckon that everything's in the hands of something much bigger than ourselves. You know, and they prepared accordingly. And the idea, I think, with connecting to sacred sites, and we now know this not just from the stories, but the fact that we have the technology to understand how sacred sites work. You know, the laws of gravity, magnetism, electricity, they are slightly different at these sites, and they do interesting things too. So there's no surprise that uh, Aboriginal people call these places the increased centers because you stand on these places and something increases inside you. You connect with something greater than yourself. So you can use it for meditation, for shamanism, to download information. And I think that they could see the future to a certain degree and they could control it. 
to a certain degree. And I think this is where it comes in handy to understand these stories today, because uh, if, if we see the whole of the last year as being one big disaster, uh, in my opinion, it's, uh, yeah, there is something serious going on, but I mean, we also overreacted to it and every governor on earth has no idea what they're doing, which adds to the whole problem. But, you know, if you take a few basic precautions, you should get by. But at the same time, I think these, these are moments where we can just sit back and take stock of what we've done and where we're going. Uh, if you look, for example, at the recent event in Indonesia, for example, where we had a massive tsunami about, what, 10 years ago now, maybe longer, mm -hmm. uh, 80,000 people died. It's a, tr a terrible tragedy. But now, if you just step back from the emotional um, uh, content of that and see the big picture, what happened? Well, what happened was that uh, all the governments in the world were going to donate X number of billions of dollars of money to help the victims of Indonesia. They donated nothing. The people that donated were you and I who sent off a little bit of something or some clothing. And suddenly we became totally connected with these people. We've never met them. We have no reason to help them. But suddenly we became one nation in the world. And I think out of these catastrophes, things, good things come out of them. Uh, this has been so since well, the Renaissance. I mean, we had the bubonic plague, which wiped off two thirds of the population of Europe. And what did we get? The Renaissance. So I think these are moments where we have to recalibrate and understand where we are going. It, these are moments where we have to slow down and take stock of things. And this is what connects us to the ancient past, the fact that they felt much the same way, that sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. And this is why they kind of, in a certain degree, they ended up building man-made temples as a mirror image of the landscape temples in order to help you understand what you've forgotten. They're almost like uh, mnemonic devices to help you reconnect with the invisible world that we tend to forget is all around us. Tell us about your, your journey into this, this realm and uh, the study that you've done and the exploring that you've done. What, what, what was uh, Freddie, Freddie Jr., Freddie as a boy? What, what, <laughs> take, take us down that path. And, and was it a chance coincidence that led you onto this path? Or was it something, a little scratch at the back of your mind that was like, ooh, there's something here for yeah. me? I think, you, I think it was. I mean, I had no idea what it was at the time because I didn't have people around me who understood. I mean, my parents certainly did not understand me. Uh, but in hindsight, now that I kind of know what I'm doing, or I, I should know what I'm doing by now, uh, I had two great teachers, and those are my grandparents. And I only spent uh, one year with them when, when my parents moved to London because uh, I was actually born in Portugal. And it was the best year of my life because now, with all this hindsight, I recognize that my mother was incredibly intuitive. I mean, she could smell a rat walking down the rail line a mile away when it was just this sort of little silhouette in the distance and she'd go, it comes a rat. And she'd be absolutely right. And my grandfather worked with the land as well. And they were, you know, uh, illiterate. They were dirt poor. We had no electricity, no bathroom. I mean, if you wanted to take, you know, uh, a leak of nature, you have to go out onto the cliff and hope that the wind is blowing in the right direction in the middle of the night. So these things help me connect with the land. And I suddenly realized I've been much more intuitive than I've given myself credit for. But I got sidetracked into modern life. I mean, I, I was drawing pyramids when I was three, which is very unusual. Uh, I had a sort of a reverence uh, of fairness and also respect for the land without really recognizing where that came from. But I got sidetracked into rock and roll. I wanted to be a guitar player. I had lots of hair. Uh, that's what I wanted to do for a living. I wanted to get girls. 
I eventually I went into advertising and graphic design. I became a creative director, made loads of money, had sports cars. But you know what? I was finally miserable. And it was, again, like we were saying earlier, moments in my life where life fell apart, where I'd be laid off for months uh, or things were breaking down in terms of relationships, where it got me to sit down, look at my library and go, wait a minute, what's this book that I bought on the Great Pyramid back when I was 15? I never got to read it. And I'd go, this is really interesting. How do you make a living doing this? Because my passion was right there. And then I got completely immersed in crop circle research. I just knew exactly what these things were the moment I saw them on television. There was no doubt that the, the people were involved in any way, shape or form. And I went on to write, uh, you know, uh, what I've been told is the best book on the subject, which today is still fresh after about 20 years. So I'm very proud of that achievement. And that's kind of what got led me away from the uh, modern world and slowly I'd be sort of paying the bills by freelancing. But yeah, my heart was in the mysterious, uh, understanding what crop circles are about, how they link to ancient temples, and they do. And from there, it's just been a 20-year um, tour for me. In fact, I was supposed to be in Australia only a couple of months ago, uh, thanks to the uh, immigration people I didn't get there. But I'll, I'll get there eventually. Uh, but, so this is kind of where I came from, uh, learning as you go, experiencing things which are very unusual, then writing about it. So in a way, people that read my books are following my experience as well. And they're growing at the rate I'm growing. And I never planned any of this, but I have to say the fringe benefits have been wonderful. You mentioned the word there, experience. And I, I, I'm drawn to that word at the moment because I feel like we live in a society where we intellectualize everything, but without actually knowing or experiencing certain things. <laughs> and a, a great example was my wife and I were watching a documentary last night on Ram Dass and Timothy Leary. And mm. it was made, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago or, or maybe longer. And it was a beautiful exploration for about these two individuals and the role that they've played and, and how they live their lives. And the theme that keeps coming to me lately is it's it's about the experience. It's not about the understand. Well, I shouldn't say understanding, but it's about the experiential journey of life. And when you say that the books that you write takes people on your experience, talk to me about why that is so important for you and what you have gained from this experience of traveling since you have uh, started walking this path or, or running this path or flying <laughs> this path, so to speak, Freddie. You're climbing over this path. In, instead um, of intellectualizing with archaeologists or uh, the academic world, instead of, you know, and I, I'm sorry to talk too much, but I'll go back to what piqued my interest about this whole thing was watching the first Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> where you see an academic, but, the, the driving force for that film is the experience that Indiana puts himself into. <laughs> snakes. Why does he always have to be snakes? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> I hate snakes too. Well, I've, I sort of come to the understanding. And again, I, I, I really don't come from an academic background. I, I come from a curious background. I can't work with academics and we get into the most ludicrous closed cell arguments because they don't want to know any more beyond their perimeters. Uh, they're embarrassed to take a leap of faith into the unknown, which is exactly what science is supposed to be good at. That's what science is, the leap into the unknown and trying to explain the unknown. So I've kind of become, as an, as an independent researcher, I kind of go by where I'm led. 
the books that I'm led to and also the experiences that I had in the field. And bit by bit, I've watched my own spirituality grow and my connection within myself and also fixing things within myself. And I'm a great believer that uh, we, if we are perfect as a soul, you wouldn't bother incarnating. I mean, we come here to earth to experience something, to fix something or improve something. Whether it's for us or for other people, it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. But I do believe that uh, as a soul, we experience things and we grow from that experience. And it was much later reiterated uh, in a channeling group that I work with in England, uh, which actually includes some very famous people, which I can't tell you about. But uh, this is one of the most incredibly gifted people that runs this group. And we've been privy to information that eventually within days or weeks comes to bear, uh, including tsunamis and all kinds of unusual things. So we trust the source. It's always led us in, into incredible adventures. And it gives us things to do as well at the same time. But one of the things that I was curious about is why are we here? What's the whole meaning of life? You know, we're always getting informa asking information from the other side when we have someone who is a gifted channeler, but rarely do we ask the source uh, of that channel. Well, what's it like from your point of view? And uh, I asked that question one day. The whole room went very silent. You know, I was thinking, well, that's a good question. Yeah, I want to know how they see the universe. And I said, what's the whole point of this? And they said, well, it's just to have an experience, which is the, the, the meaning of life, to have an experience. It was most profound and yet so ridiculously silly answer I've ever heard. It's one of those paradoxes in life. And I said, so you're telling me that the whole point of the soul is just to go on a walkabout, an experience? Yes, because when you go into the into the body, you are limited. You have very extensive experiences on Earth where, you know, love, sex, driving cars, sushi, everything takes on a whole new um, sort of heaviness and weight because you're physical. There's nothing else more physical in the universe than being here on Earth. So you make more progress. You know, we've got that on the other side, but we don't make as much progress because we don't have physical bodies and density like you do. So when you die and you cross over back into the collective, you have a choice. Uh, you can go and repeat the experience, get it right, or say, well, I understand the experience, so I don't have to repeat it. I can go on and play in Planet Nufenic and have another experience. And I said, so is that all there is to do in the universe, have an experience? And they said, yes, we just collect experiences because the uh, central creator wants to understand itself. And this is where you have to get your head around the strange paradox. The central creator splits itself up into trillions and trillions of little pieces in order to gain experience to understand itself. So I thought, well, that's a really profound yet paradoxical way to look at things. And I think it's absolutely right because the sum of my experiences so far has led me to be who I am. And slowly I'm perfecting my imperfections. I'm improving things and I'm remembering things of why I came here on this journey in the first place to help others. And all in all, I see the relationship between me and other people and my place in, in the world. So for me, it's been no end of uh, positive things, even though there are major hurdles involved in this work. And I wouldn't suggest it to most people. It's bloody hard work. But like I said, the fringe benefits are wonderful because you remember who you are. And you then can say, when you die, I made the world a, a place 1% better than when I arrived. And that for me is good enough. When you say you remember who you are, let's let's delve into that a little bit more, if you don't mind, because I have an understanding through different ceremonial experiences that I've been through that I understand exactly what you're talking about. That uh -huh. that 
people struggle when when I've mentioned this before that it feels like there's no good or bad, right or wrong, dark or light, because it all exists. And and it's just experiencing, as you said, the consciousness is experiencing itself in and without judgment to a degree. But then we have our individuated self of that consciousness, (laughs) which then projects right, wrong, good, bad, light, dark. The ego has landed. Fear, love, (laughs) all all of, yeah, the ego. So talk to me about remembering who you are and that dance between the self and the higher self. If, if we even want to use that, that terminology, because even that's a, a little bit of an illusion. Oh, it really is. I mean, they're all approximations of the truth. Uh, it, it comes from experiencing sacred sites. I mean, for me, the sacred sites are my family. Uh, uh, one of my favorite places is actually next door to you. It's in the, the birthplace of the gods in the South Island of New Zealand, which is profound. It's changed my life. And I've been there six times. And I can't get enough of it. And each time I go there, a little bit more is revealed to me about what was going on. I remember the first time I sat there under Marotini, which is the main stone. She's the goddess of the site. Still looks like a lioness. It was actually carved by hand. And um, I didn't know this when I first went there. It was only later by reading Barry Brailford's uh, published work on the uh, songs of the Waitaha, who were the traditional people of uh, New Zealand, that I realized what I was doing. But each moment I go to these sites, I would remember a little bit more about something that happened to me before I was in this particular form. And uh, sometimes it's uh, a, a lay person. Sometimes I'm going through a trial and tribulation. Sometimes I'm a very exalted person. I'm, I'm trying not to bring names into the conversation because people will start judging me uh, as being a bit, a bit egocentric. But no, I have done extraordinary things. and I've done stupid things in my many, many incarnations, as have we all. We've done this billions of times. The trick is you begin to understand the ones that are relevant to your life now. Because if you put yourself in a state where you remembered every single lifetime, you go nuts. Your brain couldn't hold it. We only remember what is necessary as a tool for this lifetime to get us to do what we came here to do. And here's the paradox. We forgot what we came here to do deliberately. And we spent all our life going to lectures, buying books, watching documentaries in order to get us to remember what the hell we came here to do in the first place. So I'm very fortunate that I am very in touch with the energy of sacred sites. And bit by bit, either whether I'm learning to write a book or teaching something, there are those moments where I'm given a certain introspection. That it's like a tube uh, that suddenly connects to uh, something greater than myself. And there's a download, uh, almost like a television uh, play, where I suddenly see everything in total clarity or something that seems so familiar. Uh, and then I begin to realize, ah, okay, that makes perfect sense. Um, there was one of my guides, my spirit guides, who turns out he was nominated to be the arch, the first Archbishop of Canterbury in England, which is a huge thing back then. It turns out he was also a, a, one of the main priests in Devon, which I always said was one of my spiritual homes. Now, I'm not British by birth, so what does a Portuguese person have to do with a county called Devon in England, to which I'm totally connected to, that then becomes the very place where one, one of my guides, many guides, is helping me in this journey. And I looked into this, it's a historical figure, and eventually, he, I, I, I did some research into him. It turns out he turns down the position of archbishop, which would have given him no end of prestige, money, position. He turns it all down. And he said, what good am I and all the things that I've learned and experienced if I'm sitting in this massive building 
on a throne, keeping all the people out. I need to go and talk to the people about this because I need to enrich their lives. So he goes walk about. He eventually ends up in Germany. He goes walk about through Europe. And I figured, my God, no wonder this guy is one of my guys because this is exactly what I'm doing. He's helping me as I'm going walk about around the world, doing lectures, teaching things about things that I've learned. So I'm slowly remembering lifetimes in Egypt or in Sumeria or the Pacific and also in Europe and many parts of the world, but little bits of, uh, of snippets that are helping me now become who I am. So this is why I always tell people to go and venerate the sacred spaces because the energy at these sites is so that the laws of physics are slightly altered that allows you a window of opportunity to squeeze in into another reality that helps you bring down information. All you have to do is ask. It, it doesn't happen by magic. You have to go there and be curious and say, you know what, I'm really curious about this aspect of my life and let it go. Let go of any expectation because when you want to expect something to happen, it never does. It's when you're not expecting that things drop down and suddenly you begin to remember all of these things that you've been that make up the sum of your parts. It, it really is very magical and it's a never-ending process. Wow, powerful words, Freddie, very powerful. It's interesting, my wife and I have purchased a 20-acre block about an hour from the beach where we live here. And it's in a rainforest, a very sacred area of, of northern New South Wales near Wollumbin, which, oh, okay. which is uh, Mount Warning as its, as its uh, English title. <laughs> and when we first discovered it, it's got a little creek that runs through it, the most majestic rainforest. And it just has this this frequency or vibration there that as a, as a health retreat, we'd actually don't have to do anything to, yeah. to be honest. We're just adding a, a, a little bit of garnish as a, as a chef. We add a little garnish to, to the plate to make it a little bit more, I don't know, appealing, but my You're wife taking and care I, of it. we are going to be taking care of that land yeah. to the best of our, our knowledge. But it's interesting because my, intuition is telling me that when people come the land because it's so sacred will do the will help these people with whatever they're coming to either let go of or to learn or to experience and it's a really interesting space because we haven't opened it yet but I, I i have just this understanding mm. that 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 land is sacred so i want to tap back into how people can access because you just took us through the little journey then or the great journey of asking for help or guidance around sacred sites whether yeah. it be where we're located or, or these uh, other ones that are around the world and take me through your process and what you have discovered from taking people there with you as well and and for yourself yeah, in fact, we just built, uh, I just came back from Arizona two days ago. We, uh, I was teaching a temple-making course where I've taken all the sum of what I've learned about sacred space and teach people how to build their own portal in their own living room. I'm sitting one right now, but you can't see the stones or anything. I'm sitting on one of the Earth's telluric currents, which just happens to flow through the building exactly in the only place where I can put my desk. I can work. It's funny how these things work. Now, all of this is distilled from my experience and just observation of sacred space. And uh... I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. I'll see you there. The information 
Views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.